0: As we were singing that, uh, that last section of that song, there's nothing better than this right now, man. I was really just sitting here thinking, you know what? This is so true. I mean, if you could boil down our weeks to like a moment that I wish I could just keep living again and again and again in, in that space, it's this time right here. I mean, focused on God with community and family that are all kind of centered around one purpose Um, So it's just awesome to be here. Grateful for you guys, grateful for our talented musicians this morning. Can we give them a round real quick? (laughs) So we've been on this series um, called God a Stranger for a while. We're kind of coming to the end of the Old Testament portion of that series um, this morning. Um, And in this series, we've been asking kind of the big question is what do we do When God shows up in a form or in a way or at a time when we least expect it? Or maybe he seemingly doesn't show up at all? How is our faith affected when God feels like or seems like a stranger to us or we a stranger to him? How do we have a personal relationship with a God who is infinite and perfect and holy? whose thoughts are not our thoughts and whose ways are not our ways, how do we navigate it all? How do we interpret what God is up to in our own life and in the world around us? So our journey leads us today to the prophet Ezekiel. And my guess going into this is you don't have like this huge catalog of Ezekiel knowledge um, in your background. And so we're gonna just spend a little bit of time getting a little context for who he was um, so we can understand his story and his writing a little bit. So Ezekiel was born about 627 B.C. in Israel. And at about the age 30, um, the Babylonians had already conquered the Israelites and taken off many of them into exile. But, but um, Ezekiel was actually taken away in 597 B.C. with about 10,000 other Jews taken to live in exile in Babylon. About 10 years after that, in 587 BC, the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and basically just burned it to the ground, including the temple, um, which was kind of the centerpiece of Jewish religious life. And it's hard for us to imagine um, the devastating impact that that had on a nation. For the promised land that you'd been you know, given by God and through just tons and tons of miraculous events and years that it took for that land to be yours, and then to have it all pulled away, but then to have the temple, the d- very dwelling place of God, at least in Jewish belief, they really believed that God dwelled there, um, destroyed. It seemed like like a brutal death sentence that they could never recover from. That was as bad as things could get for the nation of Israel. So I just want you to have this mindset of what exactly is going on um, with him and, and with the folks around him. So it's hard for us to imagine what it must have been like for a 30-year-old Ezekiel um, to be a refugee. How many of you um, are within a couple years of 30, that age? Okay, yeah, quite a few of you. Um, Some of you are liars. Phil, was your hand up over there? That's what I thought. I was like, wait a minute. Need to see some ID. But 30, if you can remember back then, some of you, um, it's a time in life where, you know, you're kind of coming into your groove, kind of in in your career. Um, Maybe you're kind of starting to build your family, um, generally making your way in the world. Okay, but now if you're Ezekiel, you're kind of pinned down and hemmed in by this brutal and powerful enemy in a land that's not even yours. And we can get maybe a little bit of of a sense of what that frustration must feel like. If we think about like over the course of America's history where immigrants have come from other countries, and maybe they came from Europe or the Middle East or wherever it was with advanced degrees and careers already going there, but for whatever reason, they've landed on our shores, and because of maybe communication issues, language issues, or just no connections or citizenship issues, they're forced to take a job, (laughs) And to live in a way that's far below their 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 standard of of intellectual ability and degrees they've earned and just how probably humiliating that is and and just how tough that is with your self-esteem and your identity so you get a sense of ezekiel's situation and, and for him it was tough because he was a part of a priestly family which meant that that he was kind of moving on this into this career of following in those footsteps of his ancestors of being a priest and And in Jewish society, you couldn't become a priest until you were 30. So he'd been waiting his whole life for this moment. And that happens to be the time when everything's kind of stripped away from him. So imagine thinking your whole life that you're heading towards this career, really a a calling for him, and then having it all stripped away. And hearing that your place of employment, that that you were going to be working at the temple where you're going to live out this calling has been destroyed anyways, it's not even there. You want to talk about a season of disorientation. And I would imagine that Ezekiel is just discouraged and and probably really just fragile emotionally, wondering what's next for him and his family. And of course, the big question that's probably lingering somewhere there in the back of his mind or maybe very much in the front of his mind is where is God in all this? Where's God? Had God abandoned Ezekiel and the nation of Israel because he certainly felt like a stranger to them? In this moment i want you guys to open to ezekiel 1 which is page 752 in your pew bibles and it's always important guys because i was thinking as i was reading this and i was thinking about what other events in israel history came next and where those books are in the old testament And some of the events that happened after Ezekiel are way earlier in the Old Testament. So just make sure when you're studying the Old Testament that you look at the dates and stuff in the beginning. If you have like a study Bible that tells you when things happened and you don't think that it's all in chronological order because you could get really confused. So just, you know, a little tidbit there for you. So we're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 1. We're going to read for a while here, so hang in there. Ezekiel says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side of each of the face had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Anybody else getting confused here? (laughs) How many faces did they have? "'Such were their faces. "'They each had two wings spreading out upwards. "'Each wing touched that of the creature on either side, "'and each had two other wings covering its body. "'Each one went straight ahead. "'Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, "'without turning as they went. "'The appearance of the living creatures "'was like burning coals of fire or like torches. "'Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. "'It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. "'The creatures sped back and forth "'like flashes of lightning.' As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creature faced. The wheels did not change directions as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome. (laughs) I love that. And all four rims were full of eyes all around. Skip down to verse 25. Then came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And I had to look that up. It's like a dark blue stone gem. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from from what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. (laughs) That was weird, wasn't it? (laughs) I I have a a knockoff version of what those guys might have looked like. It's kind of a weird dude on Segways, kind of cruising around, right? <laughs> God had certainly never appeared like this before. Okay? And it's like Ezekiel is trying to explain like a magnificent fireworks display to a blind man. Right, he's kind of stumbling around trying to put it into words and there's lightning and there's fire and there's metal and there's wheels and, and you're just like, what? I mean, it's just, you can't even imagine what he's seeing. And we must have been, um, and he just can't find the words to do it justice. So I'm wondering, what must have been going through his mind when he's seen all this happen, right? Because of all the events that have transpired up until that point and now God has given him this vision and these, these beings have appeared before him. And maybe what he's thinking is that, well, maybe even though we're scattered in exile and the temple's gonna be destroyed, that God was still on the move. Maybe he was still on his throne. Maybe his status and his power hadn't changed because, just because our earthly circumstances had changed. God wasn't confined to the temple. He was with them in exile too. So I would imagine that that, that moment had to be pretty reassuring, as scary and weird as it might've been, it must have been really reassuring to Ezekiel that, hey, God's still here. I'm going to ask you guys, I want you guys to look at, at that chapter, what we just read, okay? Think about this. I want to ask you a deep question here, all right? What can we discern about God from this description, okay? What symbolism about God's nature is present? So in all that was symbolized there with these creatures and with, with God himself, what, what do we discern about him present in this illustration, the different things that might be symbolizing things about God's nature. You're gonna have to look, so don't just give me the blank stare of I don't know. Like take a look at it and do some work here. Mind the mind the, the text. Any thoughts? Yes, sorry, Stacy. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Just this whole thing is kind of incomprehensible. So it's, again, like his thoughts and his ways are above ours. We can't even imagine the picture what that looks like. Yeah. What else? Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 just moving forward without turning, right? These, these beings, these, well, for one thing, just that God's continue to be on the move, like he's a moving God, right? So these wheels and these wings are, are giving us this, this illustration of God is active and he's moving and he's moving in one direction straight ahead, okay? Good. Now we're starting to get warm, all right? Here we go. Anything else? Yes, Phil. Yeah. Like, mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I so said wherever the spirit moved, that these beings moved as well. Right? That they were under his leadership and heading in that direction. That's good. Anything else? Yeah, Rob. Okay, yeah, there's a voice with it as well that God wants to communicate and speak to us. Good. You guys probably noticed in there, they, they, they mentioned, we'll um, uh, see, burning coals, okay, which, which kind of represents refining fire of God's presence, right? It talked about this brilliant light. It talked a lot about lightning and flashing light, okay? So just this idea of God bringing his presence, bringing light into the darkness of exile for them, but all things are exposed by him, his brightness, his glory, okay? And later on, if you would go forward in the book, in chapter 10, Ezekiel actually describes a scene where, where God's glory departs from the temple. And on the outside, it looks like God has abandoned the people of Israel. And maybe we felt that way at different times in our own journeys as well. Krish Kondiah uh, puts it like this, He says, Christian memorabilia, posters, pens, and the like, reminds us that God is an ever-present help in trouble, or as Jesus promised to his disciples, I am with you always. Yet the Bible teaches not only the reality of God's presence, but also the real risk of his absence. As we have seen in each chapter of this book so far, Adam was created for and then cast out of God's perfect garden, his presence. Sodom was visited and then destroyed by God's angels. Gideon, Naomi, and David all knew God's presence and his absence, as did God's people in exile in the time of Isaiah and Ezekiel. We know from our own experience both God's drawing close and his drawing back. God may be ever-present, yet he is often absent. How can this be, that he is both friend and stranger, and how can we stay faithful to God through these difficult seasons? So Ezekiel, like the prophet Isaiah that Justin talked about last week, he was called to prophesy to a nation that was not going to listen to him. So it was a tough calling, and maybe for good reason, because after all, I mean, their circumstances were lousy, okay? Like I said, everything was about as bad as it can get, even if some of their pain was was largely self-inflicted, okay? Where was God when they were living as exiles under a foreign power, Have you ever tried to share your faith with somebody going through a divorce or through a serious health crisis or, you know, maybe, you know, trouble with their kids or maybe a a job, you know, catastrophic kind of job change, a loss of job, loss of income? It's tough sledding sometimes with people who are looking at their circumstances and thinking, where is God in all of this? And that's kind of kind of the state of the people that he's trying to communicate to. Hmm. I want to, as we continue on in this book, you'll see God, um, I'm sorry, see Ezekiel, commanded by God. This is really, I'm going to read you some strange stuff. God asked Ezekiel to do some just crazy visual demonstrations, okay? And the amazing thing about Ezekiel is that no matter how weird the request was, he did it. Like, no matter how crazy it was. And so he listened and obeyed. And so I want to just share a couple things that that Ezekiel was asked by God to do, okay? So it says, on one occasion, occasion, Ezekiel was put into a trance-like state for a week. Another time, he was struck mute to symbolize God's people's inability to hear and respond to God's word. Now listen to this one. One time, he lay on his side for 300, on his left side, sorry, for 390 days that's over a year, (laughs) on his right side for 40 days to symbolize the duration of God's punishment on the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. He reluctantly performed a public cooking demonstration, roasting barley cakes over cow dung. He shaved his beard off with a sword, and then he divided the trimmings into sections, burning a third, throwing a third to the wind, and scattering the rest around the city while striking it with a sword to symbolize the various fates of death or exile for those proportions of God's people. We can only imagine how foolish Ezekiel must have felt undertaking these odd assignments. And though the distance of history helps us to keep them at arm's length, these stories do not seem much less strange and embarrassing today. It's a little wonder churches avoid preaching the book of Ezekiel. (laughs) Now, if we've been following Christ for a while and trying to kind of take that seriously, then we can relate a little bit to Ezekiel I mean, God asks us to do some pretty strange things as his followers, things that kind of fly in the face of or seem peculiar to the world around us or countercultural, okay? I want to ask you guys for some examples. What are some examples of things that God calls us to do as his followers that are a little bit peculiar to the world around us? Right on segways? Is that in the picture yet? No. Yeah. What are some things that, that you all do as followers of Christ that are kind of countercultural? Yeah. What's that? Going back to prison, Going back to, prison to, to do ministry with people who are still there. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Rejoice when we're suffering. Yes. Yeah. What's that? Tithe. Yeah. Give away some of our money with glad hearts, right? <laughs> what else? Yeah. Adopt a child at 42. Right. Yeah. That's good. What else? There's lots of stuff, guys. What do you think? What's that? Baptism, Baptism, yeah. Forgive others, others, right? Whether they apologize or not, right? Yeah. Love your enemies and pray for them, right? What else? Come to church once a week, right? Instead of staying home and sleeping in, watching TV, right? There's all kinds of things. How about this? Hmm. Wait until you're married to have sex, We'll talk about countercultural. Be a servant to everyone. <laughs> Welcome the stranger, right? How are we doing that obedience in those areas of life? You see, Ezekiel didn't see these strange requests as optional to obey, no matter how foolish they made him look in the world's eyes in the moment. So are we embracing our countercultural identity as Christ followers? Are we more concerned with kind of fitting in or what others might think of us? You see, God's people, if you read scripture, we're called to be set apart from the world. I want to share just a few verses with you. Paul writes this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, our call as followers of Christ goes so much more beyond just believing some things about God or about Jesus. It says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world don't be like everyone else around you why well peter says it like this in first peter 2 9 he says because you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light leave that verse up there for a second How does that verse speak to you? Any reflections you have on that? Yeah, Scott? Humbling. Yeah. I don't feel like that, right? But that's who God says I am. What else? Yeah. Valuable. Valuable. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude. Good. So it not only talks about our identity, which seems hard to kind of hold on to a little bit, but it also talks about our purpose, right? You are those things, and then you are called to declare the praises of him who called you. So it's not just believing in in this identity, which is hard enough, but it's also believing in the call, that your call, every one of our calls is to declare the praises of him. You see, as long as we see ourselves as in charge of our own life, as kind of like commander of our own ship, we will never submit ourselves to God's leadership and follow him down paths that may seem strange to our human minds. The only way we follow God in a strange places is if we've surrendered control we have to embrace this mindset that Paul puts forth in 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20 it says this do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you've received from god you are not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor god with your bodies See, the only way that Ezekiel could go about doing these strange things that God called and asked him to do is he had to believe that he he was God's and not his own. Why would you go around doing a bunch of weird stuff that's going to make you look like a fool if you don't believe that you're not in control of your own life, that you're God's possession, and he can do with you and ask you to do whatever it is he wants to ask you to do. Only when we live into our strange new identity as God's chosen people can we begin to understand or grasp a God who is stranger. And we don't have to look any farther than just Jesus' own example on this concept, okay? Because Jesus operated nothing like the Jewish religious leaders that were around during his time, the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees were showy and prideful. Jesus was humble, And he was a servant. And the Pharisees kind of saw themselves as here and all the other sinners down here. And they looked at them with with judgment and, and were critical. Jesus showed them grace and mercy and love and invited them in to his circle of followers. The Pharisees kept themselves separate from anyone who was diseased or impoverished or a foreigner. Any marginalized people in society afraid that their sinfulness was going to contaminate their holiness. While Jesus moved towards the marginalized, invited them in, made room for them in his kingdom, said a lot of times, if you want to find out what it looks like to have real faith, be like these people. They get it. The Pharisees curried the favor of Rome so they could hold positions of influence in society, while Jesus never focused on establishing or overthrowing or sucking up to earthly kingdoms. But he focused instead on bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. When we truly live into our calling as followers of the strange, suffering servant Savior, our life ought to look strange, yet beautiful and compelling. Because people were attracted to Jesus, right? Not because of things that he had, but because of the love that he gave. And so, is our strange love attracting others to Christ. God's love is often disruptive and costly, right? That's why we know we're laughing here because I was 43 when we adopted, right? And so it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> from the world's perspective. That's why it's so hard to get people to foster and adopt. It's counterintuitive to the easy life of comfort that people desire, right? Because adoption is costly. Kids are hard. (laughs) Fostering can be painful. Loving the homeless, the battered abused is exhausting and demands much more of ourselves, time, money, energy than we often want to give. But have you guys noticed maybe the course of your life as you've looked around the world that consistently it's the Christians who lead the way in these costly endeavors? It's the Christians modeling themselves, doing what is countercultural to a world, seeking a life of self-centered comfort and ease to follow this strange love of Jesus. And guys, i felt like a stranger a lot of times, even just in pastoral circles that I move in in our town. As Wellspring tries to kind of live out the gospel and often kind of goes a little bit against the norm of how most churches might operate, and I've sometimes wondered, are, are we reading the same Bible? And I'm sure other pastors and churches would say that about us as well. All right, we all have these blind spots where we've allowed ourselves and our churches to conform too closely to the ways of this world. Around here, we've called it the American dream Christianity. I want to get an honest show of hands here, okay, brutally honest, For how many of you has life turned out differently than you hoped or dreamed it would? Good. Like Ezekiel, we may have had plans for a career or for marriage or for kids or for this financial level we thought we were going to attain. Or maybe we're dealing now with anxiety or depression that's kind of derailed this plan we've had for our life or definitely causes us to be stuck in some places. Whatever it is, it hasn't gone as planned. And you might find yourself in living in this land of circumstances that feel very foreign to the life that you projected for yourself. And my question for us this morning is, what is our posture in that space? Because it looked like just on the survey that most of us are in that place, Right? What's our posture when we're in that space? Are we listening to God and obeying his voice in the midst of our strange season? Or are we allowing bitterness and disappointment over our failed plans and relationships to harden our hearts towards God and others? Are we missing what God might have for us and the ways he might want to use us in our places of exile? God sent a message to Ezekiel that made it clear that he was with him, even in the wilderness. And despite Ezekiel's circumstances and his disappointment over the life that he thought he was going to be living, what does it say at the end of that narrative that we read in Ezekiel? It said he fell down. His posture was one of worship, recognizing God was there in the midst of what seemed like a confusing life, a portrait of life that he wasn't expecting. What might he ask us to do in the midst of our present circumstances that might seem strange? (laughs) Because unconditional love and sacrifice usually are. But the strange God we serve is desperate for his love to be shown to a hurting world. To bring people out of darkness into his wonderful light. And one thing that we need to keep in mind, and this was just something I was thinking of as we were worshiping this morning is that even if our circumstances in life um, aren't how we thought life was going to go, we have to remember that as, as followers of Christ, we have been given more than we deserve, right? No matter how off track our life and our plans and what we thought life was gonna turn out like here has gone, we are still way ahead of the game in terms of what God has offered us in his forgiveness and love and, and eternal life and, and hope and joy and all those things that he has for us, that when compared to some of the folks who seem to be getting ahead in this world that we wish and we envy and, we, and we're like, oh man, I'm jealous, I wish I had that life that don't have Jesus, we're ahead of the game of them. Do you understand? So we have to have perspective, right? And that's, we can't just go on what we see because that can be, that can be really deceptive. We have to to boil it down to what we know to be eternally true at times. And that's why we're here, (laughs) just together, because only together sometimes in community can we remind ourselves uh, to keep our eyes on what's real, not the facade the world puts forward. So I want to ask you something this morning, those of us that are in this strange place of exile where we maybe didn't picture ourselves being, is what's the strange counterintuitive thing that God may be asking you to do right now that maybe you've resisted or brushed aside because it didn't seem to make sense considering your current life circumstances. I'm just going to say that sentence again, okay? What's the strange counterintuitive thing that God may be asking you to do right now that maybe you've resisted or brushed aside because it didn't seem to make sense considering your current like, life circumstances. Could that strange request be the very thing a God who is stranger may be asking you to listen and obey? It did make a lot of sense for me as a 35-year-old to quit my job and to start a church. It just didn't. Didn't make a lot of sense to adopt a kid when you're 43 and old and tired, right? There's many, many things that God asks us to do in seasons that don't seem like all the conditions are perfect. <laughs> and do we listen and obey in those times? And I just want to give you this encouragement that if you're in that space and maybe you're sensing that God is, is pushing you in something, that he wants you to go do something that might seem strange and weird, um, is to bring some people around you in that time. Bring some people around you that you trust are gonna give you biblical advice, are gonna pray with you, are gonna sit and listen and encourage and discern with you. Maybe that is something God wants you to do. Maybe they can ask some good questions that might help kind of sift that out a little bit. Maybe it's a timing issue. Maybe it's just a courage issue and they can give you the courage that you need to do it. But God is in the business of of taking people in places and in times and seasons of their life that it doesn't seem like God should be doing something amazing and calling you to do something that's very counterintuitive than what you think might be happening in your life right now, what you're capable of, right? Because so often we just look at what what I currently bring to the table, right? And so I can look at myself and I can have all kinds of doubts about what I have to offer, but we we forget that we have a God who says with me all things are possible. And he's kind of the X factor in this whole equation, <laughs> right? And if he's calling you to do something, he's going to give you whatever it is you need to do it. Let's pray.